Good morning. It is good to have Jerry back with us, and it is good to have Mr. Davis back with us. Where'd they go? Great, yeah. I'm all about that bass, guys. Thank you, thank you. I, I hope you will give me the permission to not wear a jacket for the next couple of weeks. Uh, I, th oh, thank you, thank you. If I could have picked the last person in this church that I thought would have applauded when I said that, it would have been you, Mrs. McGrath. Thank you for applauding. I, that, all right. I like that. I'll bring you a cup of coffee in the morning. You don't drink coffee, though. Blue Mountain, the real stuff, not the fake stuff. Apparently, there's a fake Blue Mountain coffee out there. I don't know the difference. It's just that it's been too hot in here recently, and um, last, last week I got home and I was just a skeleton. I had uh, lost all the weight and I had kept the jacket on. Luckily, luckily we went on vacation and I found it all back, so happy 4th of July, the time where Americans embrace gluttony. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, you know what I want for this church. And you know when my wants for this church conflict with your wants for this church. And where my wants for this church conflict with your wants for this church, may it be that you win. May I rejoice when you win. May my wants for this church align with your wants for this church. It is my belief, however, God, that this is your want for this church. You want this church to be a church that grows more and more in love with you. More and more in love for others. It is my belief that you want this church to take a journey away from itself towards you. It is my belief that you will this church to love others. Your word tells us that the greatest commandment, all of the law is fulfilled in the love of God and the love of neighbor. And Lord, as a body who confesses that they have been reconciled to God through the blood of Jesus Christ, Lord, may it be our joyous task that we live out amongst one another and before the world that we live out a spirit of reconciliation and that we live out this law not because it's going to earn us favor with you, because we understand that we have earned no favor with you by the works of the law. No man is justified. We understand that. But we understand, Lord God, that you have justified us apart from the law by faith in Christ Jesus. But you have not left us to do nothing. You have commissioned us to do something. You have commissioned us to go into all the world and to make disciples. And that discipleship starts here in this church. And that discipleship moves out into this community. But this community will never rise higher than this church. 
we want to make this community a better place, it starts by looking in the mirror. It starts by our own church saying, we will show you, Miami, how to be a community. We will show you that God in Christ Jesus has made all forms of partiality obsolete. That in Christ there is no male, no female, no slave, no free, no Greek, no Jew. There is no black or white. There is no Republican, no Democrat. There is none of us who got it right enough that you look down on us and you say, now you've got it. Now you've got my approval. But that in this body, we show the world, we show specifically this community, we show this community that if they want real reconciliation, they must be reconciled to Christ and become a member of His body. I believe that's what you want for this church. And Lord, where it is not what you want for this church, make it plain. But Lord, where it is what you want for this church, bless this effort mightily. Mightily. Give us growth, Lord Jesus. And we will see growth as we repent of our sins and as we reconcile one another back to the gospel of grace. As we are constantly being confronted with your word and being convicted by your word that when we leave this church, that we go out back into our homes, back into our jobs, back into our families, and we are reconciling ourselves. We are repenting of our sins, reconciling ourselves back to you, back to the gospel of grace. Not to be cut down by your law, but to be uplifted by your son. Your law kills. The letter of the law kills But in Christ we have life. Encourage us, Lord God, to be a body with many members working together to represent you in this community. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're continuing our series on our mission and our vision for the church. Our mission for the church is to cultivate a greater love for God and for neighbor. That's what we are here for, to cultivate a greater love of God and of neighbor. And if if you just want a practical way of how to do that, search your own heart where you see idols popping up in your life, and an idol is anything that you love more than God, even good things, even, even, even success in school, even success as a parent, an idol is loving anything more than God, even good things. And cultivating also a greater love for others. So where you see hate for others in your life, don't simply stop hating, but replace that hate with love. And love is demonstrated in acts of service. Some of you begin to say, well, I don't love these people. I mean, I, I will... I will Definitely agree with you, it is hard to love certain people. But if you begin in prayer for that person, if you begin loving them with acts of service by denying your own hate for the glory of God, what affection you don't have now will only result in your sacrificial acts of service. So that's just a simple way that you can begin to fulfill that mission as a church. I want you to see that if you're not doing that, you're letting us down. 
I want you to see that if you're not loving God and loving your neighbor more, you're letting this church down. You're letting your brothers down. You're letting your sisters down. You are not being built up into the head, which is Christ. And so that where you allow racism and sexism and bigotry of all forms and idolatry of all forms in your life, where you allow that to be permissible, you let not only this church down, but you let God down as those who have been redeemed to be a holy nation, a royal priesthood, that you're missing the mark. The title of our series is This is the End, as in this is the purpose of our existence and the trajectory of where we're moving as a church. Last week we talked about the first leg of our vision, which was to strengthen the faith of every believer. This week we're talking about the second leg of our vision at Northwest, which is to deepen the roots of Christian fellowship within our church. I don't think it would take, hopefully it shouldn't take much convincing to prove to you that the world is in a state of separation. I hope I wouldn't have to get into much of an argument on that. Let me just refresh your mind about the state of our world right now. We just went through the most contested election that I can remember in my lifetime. And here's why it was the most contested election I've ever seen. I saw believers fighting amongst one another. You saw it too. We saw really where the heart was, believer, through your Facebook post. We saw where your idol was. We saw how you championed a candidate over this candidate even for the sake of dividing the brethren. We we saw it. We, We see that we can watch videos of men and women losing their life and we immediately break into sides of who was right and who was wrong. And that the whites got to take the white side and the blacks got to take the black side. And the Republicans has got to take the Republican side. And the Democrats got to take the Democrat side. I went in the other day. There's a new, uh, there's a, a new toy company called It's Sugar. And they do candy and they do toys. And one of their toys that they've made is called Homosexual Whale. And it's in rainbow and it's a gay whale. Besides the fact that that's absolutely ridiculous. What they say is that love wins. That's, their, that's his, his catchphrase, love wins. As if to say that if you're not with me, you hate me. Because that's where we are. You're either, you're, you're either on this side, the good guy, or you're on that side, the bad guy, or vice versa. And, and do, you, do, you know, do, do you know that that's exactly the consequence of the fall? Do you know that that's exactly why I have, as I listen to 
So Mr. Foster plays some of those, those patriotic tunes that, that we love. As I listen to that, my heart began to just break because I have almost no hope for America as a community. None. Do, do you? Where, where do you? Where are you seeing it? We thought we were over this racism thing, but we're, we're so, so not over this. I thought we were over it as a young man growing up here in South Florida. It's, it's, it's worse than it's been in my lifetime. Do you have hope that this nation is going to figure out what community is? I say no, I don't. Maybe you do, but I don't. But because I don't have hope for the community of this nation does not mean that I have lost hope in community. My hope for community is right here. In these seats and against my will in those pews upstairs. I still love you, balcony crowd. My hope is right here. That this is where we can solve the problem. To the glory of God. I want to do three things this morning. I want to first demonstrate to you that God commands His people to gather into communities of believers for the mutual edification of the body of Christ. In three ways. Worship discipleship, and evangelism. That is, that we are all here for a task to accomplish the mission of proclaiming the good news about Jesus Christ. All, all of us. Not, not just me. Not just Dave, not just Jerry, not just Johan. All of us. Okay, so the first thing I want to do is I want to convince to you that what God has said is very serious about community, that it's a very big deal that, that we demonstrate as a body that we're reconciled by being in a community of believers. That we demonstrate reconciliation and that one of the greatest ways we demonstrate that reconciliation is that we're together with believers. And I don't just mean together in that we sit in the same pews. I mean that we're together in that we're not against one another. In that whatever feuds we have going on behind the scenes, and there are many, Whatever feuds we might have going on behind the scenes, whatever picadillos that we may have about types of music, about dress, about whether or not we should have pews versus chairs, whatever, I don't know them all, but whatever we are, we put those to death for the greater good of being the witness of God's reconciliation in a people. That, that's what I'm talking about. All right, so the first thing I want to do is demonstrate that God has commanded that, and it's not optional. It's not optional. Two, I want to show you what a community of believers looks like when they are obeying God's command to gather together for Him and His mission. I want to show you what a community looks like. So the first thing I want to do is I want to show you that this is what God commands, and I want to show you the blessing of what that community looks like when they're doing what God has commanded them to do. And we tend to think of God's commands as Gosh, I'll get to that 
when I really feel like I want to get to it, but right now I don't think I can obey that command because I really would rather do what I'm doing right now because this brings me more joy. And of course, Satan is happy with that. He's happy letting you think that the idols of sex or yourself or success the, the idols of your children, of your companies that you're after, of your job, of, of, of whatever it is, he's happy with letting you think that that is better than obedience. Because as long as he does that, and this isn't me being legalistic here, as long as he does that, you're being robbed of the blessing. God is, God is so sure of his reconciliation that his sales pitch to you is come and bear a cross. And those who are his will come. He is so convinced that those who are his will come that he'll pitch it like this. You will be marked by suffering. And that those who are his, they're going to come. That we, that we don't have to have a dog and pony show here to get people in because we're not going to sneak anybody into heaven who wasn't there in the first place in God's mind. So his message, his call to you is, come, come here, all my children. I want to give you the blessing of suffering for my name's sake. And to do so together. And those who are his, they're coming. Third, I want to just lay out several bite-sized things that we can do. That means there are small things that we can do as a body to realize our vision in deepening the roots of Christian fellowship. All right, let's get to it. Number one. I want to demonstrate to you how God commands his people to gather into communities of believers for the mutual edification of the body of Christ. In his book, Community, Brad House, he's a pastor at a church in Louisville, he pinpoints the essence of community when he says, community is ultimately not about us, it is about God. Community is not about us, it is about God. We are not here to be consumers of church. Oh, I like that song this morning. Oh, I don't like that song this morning. Someone, someone said something nasty about us on Facebook. Someone who, who, who doesn't even go here. Who's, who's probably never even met some of you. And the only thing they had to say was that our music, the type of music that we do has to stop. I thought, if they knew you, and they just came and saw you, they'd be blessed. They forget about their personal preferences and picadillos. They just saw the sweet spirit of other directedness that I see. They, they wouldn't say that. So, so in what sense, then, is community not about us? Does, does house mean that God doesn't care about our loneliness? 
Does he mean that God is only after his own glory? If the answer to the first question is no, God does care about our loneliness. And the answer to the second question is yes, God does care about his own glory. But, but let me further explain that. First, God does care about our loneliness. One of the greatest consequences of the fall was that human beings were, number one, separated from God, and number two, separated from one another. If you have your Bibles, turning them to Genesis 3, 19 through 13. Excuse me, 3, 9 through 13. Genesis 3, 9 through 13. Now, I want you to notice what happens. This is immediately following... Adam and Eve sinned to eat the forbidden fruit. I want you to see what happens that has not yet happened amongst men. Watch what happens. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. For, for the first time, after men and women have fallen into sin, they're hiding from God. Now, it doesn't come right out and say that they had community daily with God, but it seems that they did at least have community because what, what was at one point an eagerness to run to God is now an eagerness to hide themselves in shame. And so what has happened is the community with God is separated in sin. I heard about a young man one time who went to his pastor and said, you know, pastor, I'm really struggling with believing in God. And the pastor said to him, how long have you been sleeping with your girlfriend? The point is that when we are moving away from God, it's because there's the shame of sin in our lives. That's what human nature does. When it sees sin, it runs. It says, i got to get away from this. I don't want to be in this God. I don't want to be in the presence. Look at Peter. Peter knows he's a sinful man. He probably was just cussing those guys who were not getting the fish. Probably just threw out his cigarette. I don't know if they smoked cigarettes, but they probably smoked something back then. He probably threw it out, threw his beer out. Get the nets in, guys. Jesus walks up, says, throw your net on the other side. And immediately Peter says, get away from me, I'm unclean. If he could, if he could have had a bush, he would have hid himself in the bush like Adam and Eve. This is what we do. When, when we're in sin, we just, we just immediately start hiding from God. We get away from him. So what happens Community is broken with God. We, community is this harmonious relationship of unity and diversity. It is, it is more than one, and they are together in harmony. So, so let me give you a definition. Community is more than one, and they're together in harmony, and something's happened here. The more than one are all of a sudden not in harmony, and what they have to have to be in harmony with God is obedience, and they don't have it anymore. So what do they do? They hide. I'm not worried about your church attendance. I'm concerned about your relationship with God. If your relationship with God is good, you don't want to hide from Him. You want to be with Him. No, I can't. I can't. I, I, this is the weirdest thing. I've seen non-believers 
who come up to a church building like it's leprous, like, like, like it's under quarantine. I mean it. Where they, 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 they like feel weird about even opening the door. You ever seen that? They don't even want to come in. So they've sinned and they've lost community with God. But the, I love this. This is so sweet. But the Lord called the man. Because when we're in sin, we don't call out to God. He calls out to us. The Lord called to the man and said to him, where, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked. I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Now he's aware of his nakedness. Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Now watch this. Sin not only causes disharmony with God, but it causes disharmony with one another. The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. So Adam's saying in both directions, your fault, God, and really her fault. I just want you to see that it's not me. I didn't do it. I just want you to see that this world, if everybody voted the way I wanted to vote, we would be fine. I'm not to blame. I didn't vote for that guy or this woman. So when it all falls aside, I'm not the problem. It's your fault, God. It's her fault, woman. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. She, she immediately said, no, it, it's my dyslexia that causes me to do this. I, I was born this way. It's the elements out there. It's the, if everything were different, if, if everybody would just be different, I wouldn't have all this problem. It's my mom's fault. It's my dad's fault that I'm a jerk. Or that I never amounted to anything in this life. Oh, it's just a mess. It's like when a parent walks into the room, something's broken, and both the kids are standing around the broken piece like this. That, that's what's going on. Except this is way worse. It's going to ultimately lead to yours and my death. Ultimately, it's going to lead to the death of God's son. But community is broken. It's broken. It's gone. And the consequences don't stop there. They include that there will be enmity between the offspring of God and the offspring of Satan. That is the offspring of Eve and the offspring of Satan. That the woman's contrary will have a desire now contrary to that of her husband. And the man will now rule over his wife. You know, you got a problem with gender. Now the genders hate each other. So the, so the solution from the world today is to be like, gender's not a real thing. It's a social construct. Yeah, right. It is not a social construct. It is a physiological reality. Men are men and women are women. And it's a lie to you in an attempt to solve this problem. 
they made a mess of it. they got to fix this thing. And so what they're doing is they're trying to fix this problem of the gender disparity by solving it with the world's way rather than God's way. But these are consequences of the fall. And not only that, just a couple chapters later, God says, you know what? I'm confusing the whole world. You're not going to have one language. You, you know that the, the very plane in which they tried to build this Tower of Babel, if you don't know the story, it's a story where men got together and they began... They were going to unite themselves. They wanted one language. They were going to unite themselves around their own temple. It says that they, they did this so that they would make a name for themselves, not a name for God. This community is going to be to glorify God, and they're going to build a temple. Do you know that that plain, that temple of Shinar, that, that plain of Shinar, the temple of Babel, is the location for Babylon? Do you know what Babylon is? In Scripture, Babylon is the great adversary of God. It's the world. And the world's trying to fix the problem of community right now. And don't you see them making a mess of it? I, I, can't, I can't wait for it to crumble. It's ridiculous. We don't even know what bathroom to go in now. I walk up to the bathroom sometime and I'm like, which one? Like one's got a hand up, the one's got a hand down. They want to put a dress on a woman. They want her in a stern pantsuit. They want the guy to maybe wear makeup on the side of the door. So I'm walking up and I'm like, she many crickets. Which bathroom do I go in? Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Listen to me. They're not going to rebuild their temple. That's not how God's going to reconcile community. It ain't going to happen. God will curse it, and he cursed it by dividing them. He said, I'm going to give you all a bunch of different languages. I'm going to send you out into the world. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to do something very special. I'm going to see all these different people go to their different lands and have their different languages. And then, as Paul says in Acts 17, God put them in their places with their languages that they might all seek out one man, Christ Jesus. There is the solution for the reconciliation of community. Look around you. For the most part, we're saying to the world, we're not so uptight about this color thing, about this gender thing, because we have one Lord. There's one baptism. There's one sacrifice. We all eat of the same bread, but I'll drink of the same cup. So God then has now redeemed for himself out of the many different nations. This church used to have flags around here. I just thought it was tacky, so I said, get rid of them. But just for a second, forget the flags and just look around at the faces. Red and yellow, black and white, God is reconciling to a person, Christ Jesus. God has redeemed a community through the person and work of His Son. This community is called the church. Not the building, but the church, which is a gathering of God's people. 
They're an assembly. They're the called out, all for a purpose of proclaiming the excellencies of God. Look at how Peter says this in 1 Peter 3, 4, and 5. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You, I'm going to make you a house. And, and when we build houses, you got to build them on a foundation. And in those days, you had to have, a, you got to lay down a first stone. Okay, you got to get your stone and you got to put down your, your first stone. You got to make sure that that stone's right. So that every stone now is in relation to that one stone. And the stones that are together are together in relation to that one stone. Stones on this side, stones on that side, the stones way up there are all in relation to the cornerstone. They're in relationship to one another, they're in relationship to the cornerstone, all in relationship to that cornerstone. And, and Peter says, You're, you, you, you who came down the aisle and filled out a card when you were six and haven't come back to church since then, you're being built into a house. And I'm saying some of our walls are crumbling because our bricks are trying to do whatever they want. But you're either a part of this house or you're not. You're either a part of this building or you're not. You're either a part of this body or you're not. The toe cannot say, I don't want to be a part of the, toe, the body anymore and still be a part of the body. He says, listen, you are a, here's why. So not only have I, I've aligned you to this, I'm building you up in Christ Jesus. You're all, you're all together in Christ Jesus. But for what purpose? For the purpose of this. You are my chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That means that you don't belong to yourself, but you belong to God and you do what God tells you. And it's for your good because he loves you. Why? Why are we, we're a chosen race, we're a royal priesthood, we're a holy nation, a people for his own possession? For what reason, for what reason that you, that word you there is the plural you, that means all of us, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you weren't a people, once you weren't a people, once you were divided by your various prejudices and picadillos, but now you're people and you've been united with Christ for a purpose. To go and proclaim to other people the excellencies of this God. Brad House says, isolation is our response to sin, but community is our response to reconciliation. We isolate ourselves in sin, but when we have really experienced the reconciling grace of God and the Holy Spirit, we're in community with one another. So what is the purpose of Christian community? It is to grow into greater conformity with Christ, to being built into that rock, into that cornerstone. Ephesians 4, 15 through 16. Rather, speaking the truth in love. So this is a community of truth. It is a community of love. It is a community of speaking, by the way. It is a community where we talk to one another, where we verbalize the truths of God. Why do you think Jesus, Jesus is, is called the Word? Because it is the communication of God, of the gospel of grace. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. 
in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. What's the purpose? To grow up into Christ. I remember I met a woman one day who was so thrilled that her son no longer was gangbanging. He had now found Eastern religion. And this woman was a Christian. And she was very, very happy about this. No longer gangbanging. He's no longer in a gang. He found Eastern religion. And I, I, by the way, as a, as a parent, I could, I, I could be excited for, for a moment about that. But what they found was even worse than in the gangbanging religion. Because now they found a religion. Try, try listen, to the, listen to me. Listen to the stories of the missionaries who go into Muslim nations who try for decades to have one convert. But because of the, the brainwashing of the religion, they just can't get through. Gangbangers. Hey, man, you know you're sinning, right? You know it's not right to be shooting people, to be dealing drugs to kids. I, I could say that. But when you're convinced that what you're doing is right, so the, the mother's happy, no more gangbanging, but now they've worshipped false god. The mother's seeing this as a step up. This person's been built up. No, they haven't. They've been torn down. The building up is not merely building up to better. The building up is building up to a person. It is building up in Christ. It is that you no longer look like just a good, functioning human being. And there's a lot of them out there who are, who are Buddhist and who, who, who do all the things and believe all the things we don't believe, who are Muslim and who are Jewish, who are high-functioning people, who are nice people, who are philanthropic with their money and give and they're good and they obey the speed limit and they're great neighbors to you. Who are not being built up into Christ but are being torn down by falsehood. We speak the truth in love. And the truth is that this building that we're building is based on the cornerstone, Christ Jesus, no one else. We're here to gather for worship. Ephesians 5, 18-21. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. When, when pagans would get together, they would have drunken orgies. You've heard the phrase, uh, the college parties are full of drunken orgies. That's what the old worship of pagans would be like. They would drink themselves into intoxication, not because they just liked the local pub, but as an offer to the god of Dionysus, and they would enter into sexual relationships together as an orgy to promote ecstasy, out-of-body experiences, so you use alcohol, and you use sex, and in the erotic, and in the alcohol, you are transcending the physical, and they think you are uniting to God, and so listen to what Christian worship is to be. Don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Don't try and get high off of sex, drugs, to try and get to me, says God. You want to get to me? You're going to come through the Spirit. You're going to drink the Holy Spirit 
And that's how you're going to get to me. And outside of that spirit, you're not getting here. Claire said to me the other day, Daddy, I see heaven. Because the, the lights were coming through the clouds. I said, you know, I didn't want to get into a long, drawn-out thing. But I, that's not heaven. And you can never obtain heaven. Every so often, some kind of quack comes out and says they found heaven in a distant galaxy. Listen, you're not getting to God by a rocket ship, by wine, by sex. You're not going to reach the ultimate by any other means than the Holy Spirit. Be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. What does that look like when we fill with the Holy Spirit? We address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. It doesn't say the good old songs. It doesn't say the good old-fashioned hymns. It says spiritual songs. It says that the words mean something. That they convey truth. And whether it's a drum beat or to a piano or a harp or an organ, do the words convey truth? Spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always. We're here to praise God. We're remembering what God has done for us. For everything that God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we, I love this last part because this is the part we don't want to read. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submitting. Lastly, we gather for discipleship. Excuse me, second. We gather for discipleship. That means discipleship is a learner. A disciple is a learner. But more than anything, a disciple is someone who looks like Christ. So what do we do then in order to be disciples? We repent of our sins in discipleship and we reconcile to one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, said Paul, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. That word caught there means that they're ensnared. They can't get out of this life. And so if we see this person ensnared with sin, it is your business to confront your brother and say, brother, let me help you. Not to shame them. Not to go to them and say, naughty, naughty, naughty. But those of us who are spiritual, those of us who've, who've got, the, got the log out of our eye, are to go and take that speck out of our brother's. And then Paul says this. He puts a little warning on there. Restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Oh, if the church would restore people in the spirit of gentleness, we would have those girls who got pregnant out of wedlock stop leaving. Stop running into the understanding and loving arms of Planned Parenthood for abortion. They come in here. But because they're trying to hide from you, because they don't want your harsh condemnation, they're going right to the scalpel of an abortion doctor. To the greater shame. And I want this to be a place where women who've had abortions and women who've had children out of wedlock, women, who, women and men who've had sex before marriage, come in here, be reconciled in a spirit of gentleness. Why? Listen to what Paul says. Just at the end here. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. You have not reached spiritual perfection. You're not better than them. The girl who got pregnant outside of marriage... 
We just see it. I am not privy to the dirty thoughts in your head. But don't act like you're spiritually superior. And that if it weren't for God not giving you the cross of ugliness, you too would have had the opportunity to sleep around. I'm thinking, God, he made me ugly. Because I didn't get a lot of opportunity. The girls weren't beating down this guy's door. I got the laugh, laugh, last laugh, though. I did end up with a beautiful wife. Amen. Yeah, who said that? Yeah, she is beautiful. Yeah, but that's not because I was holy. Because when you weren't looking, when I was in my room, when that door was shut, my eyes were watching something else. So I don't get to go to God and say, I'm pure. I kept it till I was married. No, I wasn't pure. Jesus said, you look at a woman with lust, you're guilty of fornication, you're guilty of adultery. Oh, to my condemnation. But I want to be reconciled to God. I want to be restored gently by brothers and sisters who know their sin and want to restore me gently. This community gets together for discipleship. We repent and we reconcile. We don't, we don't hide our sins. You hear me? You don't need to hide your sins. Don't come in here beating your chest about how good you are. I'm not impressed. God isn't either. Lastly, the purpose of the church is to proclaim the excellencies of God. Go back to 1 Peter 3.19. You're a chosen race, you're a royal priesthood, you're a holy nation for his possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of God. How do we proclaim the excellencies? By practice and proclamation. In fact, the very verse where Peter says that you may proclaim his excellencies is immediately followed by an exhortation to live holy lives and to speak truth when you get the opportunity. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good, says Peter, following verses. Even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your heart's honor, Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. What's going on here? Our proclamation is by our practice and by our proclamation, by our speech, but by our words. This past week, I got a call from a brother who said, hey, listen, can I talk to you? I said, sure, what's going on? He said, man, uh, man I, was, I, was at, uh, I was at a place, and this guy who's a friend of mine, man, uh, you know, we were, we were at a bar, a couple of us had a drink, I had a drink too, we were, none of us were drunk, but I think this guy had a little too much. He said, um, he began to, we, we, he wanted to talk about the Bible and Christianity. And every argument that I gave to him, I, I, he said he, he wouldn't listen to it. He just, he beat it down. He said, what do I do with this? How do I, he didn't want to listen. He didn't, it's like he didn't have ears because he didn't have ears. It's like he didn't have eyes because he didn't have eyes. I said, he said, what do I do? What do I do now? 
Because this, this person in, the, in my life is a person I've, I've got to be in relationship with. I work with them. I've got to make it work. What do I do now if we have this conversation? Because it got nasty in this conversation. What do I do? I said, here's what you do. You begin to live godly lives before them. Do not give them any opportunity to slander you for bad behavior. Then, when they ask, why do you believe? Be ready to give a reason for the hope that is within you. That's every one of us, not the pastor. When your child hates God, they're going to look to your job as a father, father. And they're going to come and ask you, why do you love God? Are you ready to give a reason for the hope that's in you? Did you earn it through your godly behavior? That they might see your good deeds and glorify your Father which is in heaven. What does this community look like when it is perfect? Not perfect, but when it's, when it's functioning the way God wants it to function. Acts chapter 4, 23 and 31. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Okay, so what had the chief priests and the elders said? This is John and Peter. They are leaving the Sanhedrin. The, the, that's the high Jewish ruling council. They are the leaders of the, Jewish, uh, of the Jewish world. They've just been before these men and they have been commanded not to preach in the name of Jesus any longer. Don't do this. Don't preach in this name any longer. But they were released because they could not overlook the good deed that they had done by healing a, a man. So they were released. Immediately they went to their friends, which are the believers, and they reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them, and that was, don't preach in the name of Jesus anymore. And when they heard it, that is the church, the, the group of believers, they lifted their voices together. They had a prayer meeting, like we did last Sunday night, like we do in our Sunday schools. They lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of the Father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why do the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His anointed. Their prayer begins by acknowledging what God has already done. Every group of every kingdom, every group that's ever oppressed God's people were not only there... And defeated, but they were there by God's choosing. God put them there. It says that the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His anointed. For truly in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. They recognize that God is orchestrating this. They're still in prayer, and here's what they pray for. Listen to what they pray. They don't pray, give me health. 
Although that's a fine prayer, but it's not what they're praying for. I want to show you that they pray for something that almost none of us ever pray for. Listen to what they pray for. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. How many of us are praying that God give us courage to speak his word with boldness? To proclaim his word with boldness, with honoring obedience, and with words. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. So these things are on the periphery. And listen to what it says. When they had prayed, when their meeting was over, when they got in their cars and they went out to their Mondays through Saturdays. When they left the church. The place was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And what did they do? They continued to speak the word of God with boldness. God answers the prayers that are prayed according to his will. And his will is that his people, not just the disciples, but all of his people are bold in their proclamation. Bold Christian obedience. What are you, gay? Is that why you're not having sex? No, because I love the Lord. Because I, I see that the Lord has something good for me, I want that. How come you never curse? Because I'd rather bless. And then when they are confronted, they're not afraid to say this name. Jesus. I worship Jesus. What can we do as a congregation? How, how can we, what are the bite-sized things we can do? Number one, number one, okay. God commands it. You see that God blesses it in a community. He blesses it when, when they're, they're, they're all united around the same common mission to be discipled and to make di disciples, to make and multiply. They're being discipled. They want to make more disciples. What can we do as a church? Just some little bite size. Look, I want to give you a tiny, I'm not going to give you the whole steak. Just cut these little pieces off and begin to chew them. They're small. Here they are. Number one, make corporate worship an, essent, an essential part of your individual lives. Make corporate worship an essential part of our individual lives. Okay, so what do you mean? You mean come to church more? I don't mean anything less than that, but what I mean is so much more than that. I mean you can't do any of the things God has commanded you to do in the community of God when you're not here. But I'm also saying do what God has commanded you to do when you are here. Many of us are here today. Great. Worship consists of the following things. It is the song of prayer and praise. It is scripture reading. It is observance. It is the sacraments. But in this moment right now, what we are doing in this worship service is confronting you with the word of God 
convicting you with the Word of God so that you will be discipled in your repentance and reconciliation. This is the beginning of our job as a church. How do we deepen the roots? We gotta be here, we gotta be convicted. If we're not even getting convicted, it's like saying I've got a bomb here and I'm gonna light the spark, but I don't have anything to light the spark with. All we're doing right now, I'm lighting the spark. Look at me, I'm up here with a, with a lighter, just going, and I'm praying to God that that wick's gonna light. Because when this explodes into repentance and reconciliation, that community out there, your world out there, better watch out. Here, so we've got to make corporate worship an essential part of our individual lives. You need to be here together. You need to know that others need the grace that you need. If you're in your sin, don't run away. Be here. Number two, you can make discipleship A, a priority, and B, something you do together. So I've lit the wick with this sermon. Now we've got to have repentance. Now you've got to go home, husband, and apologize for your abusive behavior, whether it be with your word or your neglect. Now you've got to go reconcile that marriage. Now you've got to put to death sex and drugs. Now I'm lighting that wick. Now you've got to go and be disciples. Make it a priority and make it something we do together because many of us don't know how to get out of our cycle of sin. And that's why God has said, those are, if, if anyone's ensnared, you know, what, you know what I imagine when I imagine ensnaring? You ever seen when the person's walking along in the forest and they step on that leaf and all of a sudden they're caught up and they're upside down and they're swinging around upside down? You ever seen that in the movies? You guys know what I'm talking about, right? You ain't getting down. You need somebody else to get you down. You need a brother to come by and say, oh my gosh, I gotta get you down. Not walk by you and say, now you know you shouldn't have been walking in the forest because this forest has traps and you got what you deserve being up there. You know, that's why I never get caught in. Whoop! You walk up and you say, oh my gosh, I gotta get you down. Oh my gosh. You're addicted to pornography? Dude, so was I. Let me help you. Hey, let me get you down. I'm gonna help you. Man, call me if you need me. Let's go, let's go talk. Let's replace, let's replace this thing with the right thing, the wrong thing with the right thing. Let's replace sin with repentance in God's community, looking like Christ together. I'm going to get you down. Come on. Come on, I won't get you down. I want you down here with me. Brother, you hate your other brother? No, 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 no. That's not good. Come on. Come on. Let me get you down. We got to fix this. I'm going to make it my prerogative because I'm spiritual, because I want this, because I want Christ. I'm going to make it my prerogative to get you down. You're ensnared. I want you, I want you out of this ensnaring. I want, I want the blessing. I want you back on your feet. Brad House says, churches don't have fellowship groups because people need to belong or we need to care for one another. Those are good things. But you can get those at the health club. 
He says, these effects are not the foundation. We have community groups, and we're going to give you the opportunity to be a part of the community groups this fall. Because we have been reconciled to God and to one another. We once were not God's people, but now we are God's people. We are His possession. We have community groups as a proclamation of the goodness of our God and the testimony of His completed work of the cross. Finally, finally, a little bite-sized thing we can do is make evangelism a shared experience. Peter told us we've been called to proclaiming the gospel. The church in Jerusalem that Peter was a part of got together. They prayed for boldness in proclaiming the excellencies of the Gospels. And that's exactly what God gave them. This church is not growing because you're not communicating the Gospel. It's not me. It's not just us. I'm guilty of it too. But it's not one person. It's not about programs. It is about people who are inspired by the delicious bread of life that they're eating. And they're telling other beggars where to get that bread. Listen, if you don't think this is the church for them, then tell them of another church. But do something. Because the church of Jesus Christ is dying because of the apathy of its people. We are content with our lives. We don't want to be bothered with mission. We don't want to be disturbed with the embarrassment and the shame of our peers we don't want to be one of those nuts who proclaims Jesus. That's why we don't do it. I know because it's why I don't want to do it. Three things we can do. We can make corporate worship an essential part. Here's where we light the wick. We can make discipleship a priority and something that we do together. And finally, we can make evangelism a shared experience. That's what I mean when I say our vision is to deepen the roots of Christian fellowship. Let's pray. God, I believe this is your vision for the church. I believe that you don't have us here to group together to be a holy huddle. But you've called us here to be convicted and to change that convict with that conviction to change our lives to do it together, Lord God, I thank you for my brothers and sisters who confronted me when I was in sin. Thank you. Thank you that you put it in their mouth. Thank you for the men and women who saw me ensnared and who cut me down. God, I pray that you will make it our business to make others our business. And then, Lord, I pray that together, together as a church, we will go out and proclaim the excellencies of you. This is, after all, why we are yours. We are your possession. We are your holy nation, your royal priesthood. God, help us to obey. Amen.